Hey, bookworms. Welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am so glad you are here. I am the Picky Bookworm, and I love bringing recognition to indie and self-published books through book reviews, proofreading, and podcasting. Every Saturday, I get to talk to a member of the writing community, from book bloggers to authors and even other podcasters like myself. I'll include a link to my website where you can leave a comment with your thoughts on the show or questions for the author that I may not have gotten to. You can also find information on how to sponsor this podcast. Ready? Grab your tea, wine, or laundry, and let's get to it. This episode is sponsored by Caroline Fleur. She wrote the book Destiny and Other Dilemmas. You can find it on Amazon in Kindle format and paperback format. Here is the blurb. Brooke Stern seemed to have the perfect life until she didn't. After an unexpected turn of events that shook her marriage of 15 years, she must navigate her new normal as a single independent woman. Juggling her son's food allergies, her demanding career, and growing interest in a mysterious man, she's determined to restart her life and find a clear path ahead. When she finally reclaims her courage, she is confronted with the harsh consequences of her choices. Any step forward is a potential risk as she tries to make the best decisions for herself and the future of her family. That is, if destiny doesn't step in and decide for her. Based on that, I think I need to own that book as well. Um, I will include a link to the Amazon so that you can purchase this book and support the author just as the author has chosen to support this podcast. Thank you, Caroline, and thank you, Chris. Uh, You can find her book in the show notes as well. Thank you both for supporting the Piggy Bookworm. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us on the Picky Bookworm podcast. I have Lacey Crouch on the show today and I had a guest, I had to switch Lacey with my other guest for today. Uh, she was actually scheduled for next week, but we had a little bit of a scheduling conflict. So she is going to be on the show with us today. I am sure you guys have seen her around the Twitterverse just boasting about her book that she just had published. And I'm so excited to get to talk to her about it. I know you guys will be too. It's such a fun book. So we are going to get started. Hi, Lacey. Hello. So your book actually started in high school, right? Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So it, it was originally a comic book, uh, 256 pages of plotless nonsense that I wrote for a group of 13, 13-year-old 13 girls uh, throughout my entire high school career. Eventually we got older, right? But uh, it started out as an excuse to make up cute boys for us to pretend to make out with. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like 13-year-old nonsense. Not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, so what what made you decide to take this book of plotless nonsense and give it a plot and turn it into a book? Uh, well, COVID obviously happened, and I had nothing else to 
do to keep my sanity with my lovely children that I spent a good year trying to talk to constantly. So I decided that I felt like this plotless world needed to be told appropriately. I wanted to get back to Jason Leah's story. I didn't want to keep leaving them off on the sidelines. I always drew back to them, even though I did write other stories between. So I just wanted to honor their existence and actually write it down instead of just leaving him in plotless limbo. Well, I personally, I think you did a fantastic job. And COVID seems to, seems to have brought a lot of authors out of the woodwork. You know, I, I hear a lot of, well, I didn't really think I wanted to, to write a book before. And then COVID hit and I was home all the time. So I thought, why not? Pretty and, much. and we've gotten, we've gotten a lot of really good books out of the deal. You know, us readers and bookworms, um, you know, oil and water is one that I've mentioned before. Um, that Nick actually wrote it in like a couple of months, um, because they were stuck at home. So, um, it's, it's amazing what lockdown will do for your creative juices, you know? Uh, okay. So go ahead. I think the first draft of 13th Zodiac maybe took two months before I started writing and reworking it. So it kind of just poured out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of, um, you know, Stephen, Stephen King has mentioned before that, you know, some of his books kind of feel like they're telling him the story and all he's doing is writing it down. And, you know, for me, the book kind of... It kind of feels like that. It kind of feels like it has a life of its own. And, you know, the, you know, you, it feels like you were more of a conduit. You know, Jason and Leah are, they're real people somewhere. You know, they're, they're very relatable people. And, you know, I, I love the fact that you wrote in a princess who can cook. And not only can she cook, she cooks better than the non-princess people. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So tell us a little bit, um, on the cover of the 13th Zodiac, you have Jace's gun blade. Um, tell just a little bit about how you, how you came up with the idea for his gun blade and, you know, what was just kind of the the beginning of that? So aside from the obvious Final Fantasy pull of the existing gun blades out there, uh, his original weapon was a sword when he was in a comic book. And then I added the guns into the world for Chal and that, you know, time had given them the access to it. And while he doesn't really care for guns, and there's a reason for it and it's explored in the prequel, but um, when he was given this weapon by, I would say who, but it's kind of a spoiler. Um, he he was given the became, weapon. We won't say by who. Yeah, it sort Someone. of became a part of him. <laughs> he um, accepted the fact that, yes, it still had the gun part to it, but it was also a blade, which he preferred. 
um, when I decided to give it to him, it, it was more Graham kind of growing into it. Before he had the sword, and he often was not very good with it, but he was actually better with a gun. Um, I guess I, I just put them together, and I was like, you know what? He needs a gunblade, and this is just how this is going to happen. <laughs> and I mean, Jamie has her axe, and okay, a bunch of stuff, and Leah can cook and do other things. <laughs> yeah, he um, needed his weapon. He needed something in order to contribute to this quote unquote ragtag bunch of misfits. Um, okay. Which, you know, they, you know, they, they kind of are, I mean, they kind of are just this, this group of people that have just kind of been thrown together by circumstance and they make the best of it. And I, I think that is, I think that's really amazingly done, uh, the way you just, you took these, this group of people and yeah, the, um, the book has multiple points of view. Um, I know you say that in, in the blurb on purpose for people because it, you know, without being careful, it can get confusing. You know, I, I have read, um, multiple POV books before, uh, Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty, um, is one of them. I read another one, um, I think it was The Family Upstairs by Lisa Jewell, uh, was another one that I read, um, that had multiple points of view. And in both of those books, it wasn't determined at the beginning of the chapter or the section who was speaking. The, the reader was just expected to figure it out. Um, the Family Upstairs was really bad about that because it was it was told from the point of view of two women and a man and you know there were times in the chapters with the two women I had absolutely no idea which one of them it was until about halfway through the chapter and I got so frustrated with you know yeah you've done this multiple point of view book that's great good for you you need to you need to tell us who's talking. You need to tell us from whose point of view we're we're reading. And your book, yeah, it has tons of points of view, but you make a point to tell us who's speaking or who who's through whose eyes we're watching um, this action unfold, and that makes it a lot less confusing. And, you know, I know some of your, some of your beta readers and some of the people who have reviewed your book so far find that really frustrating. I did not, I did not find that frustrating at all. Um, I, I thought, you know, and I don't particularly like multiple POV books. I, I want my book to be from one person's point of view. I want, (laughs) that's it. Um. And I tend to get frustrated unless I know who's speaking. And I think you did that really well um, in order to avoid confusion for the rest of us. Yeah, I tried to make sure you knew who we were looking through 
at any given moment. Yeah. So I, and it wasn't, at least to try not to be too confusing, because I know I do have a lot of point of view. Just in the first chapter, it's it's Jace and then Leah, and then Jamie gets her words in. But it's, it's like, yes, I have a lot of, oh, and Jero, but that's Jero. <laughs> Oh yeah, Jeru. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll just is. we'll leave him alone. You'll y'all will y'all will get to know him later. <laughs> but I have so many people, and they all have to get their opinions out. Well, yeah. <laughs> but the core of it really is Jace and his story, and where we go with him. Yeah, and you know, Leah is. And Leah. Le- yeah, as well. Leah is definitely, and she's important because she's important to Jace. I think yes. is, um, I think is what's going on. So my my kitten has decided finally to say to come join us. I don't know if you can see him or not. I cannot see him, but he's in there somewhere. He yeah he, <laughs> he he has a favorite spot on my lap, and he yep my little co-host has decided to come and and join us. Um, as long as he doesn't try to climb on the keyboard, which he has done before. So we'll we'll see what happens. But for now, he's he's content to lay here and go to sleep. Okay. Um, no, I don't edit, by the way, so everybody gets to hear all of that. All right. I'm, uh, like I said, I'm sitting in the hospital parking lot. So, <laughs> so do, do you read and write in the same genre? Is that, or do you prefer a different genre? Oh, no, I definitely read and write in the same genre. I you know, sort of truth novels, big on uh, Terry Goodkin in the beginning, and eventually he just, I think it was just breaking out books because he had to. Um, James Patterson. I did read a lot of Dark Tower. <laughs> I didn't make it past Wolves of the Kala because I got so confused with the people in the Green Goblin masks that I didn't know what was going on anymore. <laughs> they, yeah, you. they will actually, you'll know who they are by, I want to say by book six, you definitely know who they are. Um, that, yeah, that, that whole series, he, the, the Dark Tower series is kind of the, the culmination of all of his books up to that point. You know, he. My husband recommended it and I'm like, I tried. (laughs) Yeah, my my mom, who is actually not at all a Stephen King fan, she she gets frustrated with all of the supernatural woo woo aspect of it. But she she actually read behind me, you know, like I read The Gunslinger and then passed it on to her and you know, so we she read, you know, one book behind me. And we got to the end of the seventh book. And just in case you decide to continue on and and continue reading, I'm not going to give spoilers. But, you know, when we got to the end of the seventh book, she was pissed. She was so mad that it ended the way that it did. And... You know, that was, it was a, a really good explanation of her reading style versus mine, Mm -hmm. because I get to the end of the seventh book 
And my thought is, well, it couldn't have ended any differently. She gets to the end of the book, the seventh book, and she's like, no, what? No, it should not have ended that way. And so, you know, it's, she's very much, she wants, she wants her books to end a certain way. And again, trying really hard not to give spoilers. I, I have a tendency to accept the ending of a book because that's the way the author intended it. Whether I like it or not, that was, it was Stephen King's intent to end the book the way that he did. You know, right. he, he did it on purpose. Whether his purpose was to piss all of his readers off and send us into a tizzy or whether well, he makes tons of money so he can do that <laughs> <laughs> he yes he could piss off all of his readers he'll find more it's fine uh, <laughs> you know or if his intent was to give people the reaction that i had you know the book could not have ended any any differently it needed to end that way so i you know and I, I don't ever compare authors to Stephen King or James Patterson or, you know, all of these big time authors. Because I'm like, you know, Stephen King, I, I'm actually reading his newest book right now. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> excuse me, it was, is actually a funny story. I requested it from my local library on overdrive and according to overdrive I had 10 people in front of me so I could be looking at maybe having this book in about 20 weeks and I'm like okay that's fine I've you know I've got other books that you know I will be able to finish in the meantime and then four days later I get this notification this book is available here you go and I'm like Great. Thanks. <laughs> um, but my, my point is this. I feel like it's getting to the point almost that he's running out of stories. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that's, I know that's a horrible thing to say about an author, but I say it because of this half the book, it's called Billy Summers. Half the book is a is a part of the story that he could actually have taken completely out of the book and it would not have changed the book in any way at all whatsoever it it almost feels like filler and i am actually and i actually when i come across those parts because he changed the font on it so you know what part of the the book is the main story and what part is this other story and I actually split past it <laughs> so I'm like I don't care on um, I mean that's and it sounds horrible to say but I but that particular part of the book it just doesn't add anything for me you know and I I need I need my books to to have that cohesive feeling where you know everything fits 
in in the main story. You know, uh, you know, your book does that really well. Um, there's you know a bunch of other books that I could list that um, fit that really well. Um, but you know, and I've and I have run into that several times with Stephen King's books in particular, you know, the Institute had that same kind of feeling, you know, it, there were parts of it that I felt like I could just completely skip over and I wouldn't be missing any of the story. And that, that frustrates me because I'm like, you're, you're, you're such a good author. You know, you wrote the stand and you wrote it and you wrote Salem's Lot and Pet Cemetery and all of these really amazing books. And then you have this book that apparently your editor told you it needed to be 300,000 words. And so it's not 300,000 <laughs> words, but you know, that's just an example. It's not 300,000 words. Um, you know, but your editor told you, you know, okay, it needs to be this long and you're like, okay, well, I'm not sure I can make it that long. So I will just add this whole other story into it. So you're basically getting two books in one. And there you go. It's a book. That frustrates me. And I, I have really, really, really strong opinions about things like that. It's just, <laughs> um, I, I know you've listened to, to previous episodes and you've heard me go just just stop it just don't <laughs> and this is one of those situations where I just really want to say that just stop it just just stop it um well, he's getting money so yeah you know and it's he is one of the the reasons why I love the indie book community so much you know, because he can turn these stories out and, you know, he can make money, but his books have to be marketable. Yes. You know, because oh. he, because he writes a certain genre or he writes, you know, and, you know, yes, Stephen King is marketable. He's, you know, people buy his books in droves. You know, Seb Reed is one of them. He, Stephen King is, you know, his, probably his favorite author. I, I want my stories to be original. You know, I, you know, I quit, honestly, I quit reading Danielle Steele, um, a long time ago because I felt like her, every single one of her books, you can change the name of the characters. You can change the situation in which they live, but the formula of the story remains the same a lot of those kind of books though they just crank them out because it's easy and it's, it's like frustrating <laughs> so i had a so i did get a, um, a professional review from somebody and they did actually give me three stars in marketability probably because it's not what they wanted or expected and that was another reason i decided to go self-pub because i didn't think that it would be as marketable as traditional publisher would want it's not <laughs> well and a, a lot of indie and self-pub books aren't and honestly that's what I love about them you know they're they're original they take 
you know, I, I love the books that take a, a well-used trope, such as a vampire story, and turn it on its head. You know, and, you know, you took the the typical princesses on the run trope and turned it on its head. And that is, that's one of the things that drew me to the indie community besides the people. Because the authors and the, and the people in the, in the community are amazing. Um, but... You know, reading a reading a book and knowing I'm not going to get typical trope just it makes me it makes me happy. <laughs> so what speaking of tropes, what what is one that you really like and what is one you don't like well i'm gonna this is gonna sound probably terrible but like i've been pre reading or at least been looking at a lot of young adult books where the trope is a really strong woman and like a group of useless men i get it <laughs> i get it i mean yes yeah, strong women bro us woo but do you have to make the guys completely useless and it's always um, like there's the childhood love interest that she likes but doesn't like but does like and then this total jackass sorry jerk that she apparently falls for and there's like two other kids somewhere <laughs> so that one's been driving me crazy but I've seen it everywhere and it seems to be very marketable um, I'm actually so as for one that I do like I've kind of really gotten into the found family type thing and like uh, the movie, gosh, what's that movie called? The one where they instant um, family, instant hmm? fa instant family. I knew yes, as soon as as soon movie. as you said found family, that that <laughs> movie popped into my head. I loved that I movie. Loved that movie. <clears throat> so I I didn't know it at the time that I was actually doing that. So there is a found family type trope in my book, um, considering a a couple and what they end up doing halfway through yes but I, I and it and it was actually it. and it was actually a couple that you didn't expect no I didn't you know you you kind of <laughs> yeah you kind of get maybe a little bit of an idea that something like that might happen but then at the same time you're like no because of because of who they are and you know i'm mm -hmm. No spoilers. Promise everybody, no spoilers. Um, but yeah, because of because of who the who the people are, um, you know, you you're kind of like, well, maybe, but no, well, maybe. Well, they, they, I tell you what, they're totally together in like the next book. But oh my gosh, I did not expect them to end up together because in the original comic, they weren't. <laughs> so the yeah, so this is kind of like your your story just got a mind of its own and was like, no, I you know we're gonna tell the story my way, Lacey. No, yeah. <laughs> they don't listen to me at all. Chase is terrible at it. Oh my gosh. 
I had to write, rewrite an entire scene in the sequel because he went a little bit too far on certain <laughs> something. And I was like, nope, nope, gotta back that up, no matter how satisfying that was. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what was the most satisfying part about writing this book? Really getting it down on paper and actually finishing it for myself because originally like I said it was the comic but it never had a plot so giving it a plot was really something I wanted to do and I didn't really and like I took elements from another story that I had written called Moon the Rain and kind of incorporated them together especially with the uh, time and the fate stuff and it just sort of turned into something a lot bigger than I intended but when I finally got to the end, doing what I did at the end, while complicated, was definitely worth the journey. Um, <laughs> I can't say what happens. No, 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 no. We can't say what happens. So how how did you come up with the mythology? Because I've been sitting here just waiting for an opportunity to gush a little bit about your prologue because a lot of people a lot of authors and I know we've I know you saw um that tweet a couple of days ago from that editor um or excuse me the the agent um that was asking about prologues Mm -hmm. and whether they actually added anything to the story and yours was actually an example I gave of a well-done prologue. So how did you come up with that particular mythology? Well, so a lot of it took from Greek mythology um, at first, but I decided to narrow it down to just the four titans. And then the Keepers. Um, so have you ever heard the song Keeper of the Stars? Probably. It's not... Uh, it's a country song. Um, oh, then probably not. I, I know. It's called, oh, no, country. But it's, it's called Keeper of the Stars, and it was really popular when I was in high school. And I thought, well, you know what? Keepers sound cool. So I made up the Keepers. And um, while they aren't really discussed much in the first book, they are a little bit more prominent in the second. But as far as the Titans, um, I needed somebody to be higher than the Keepers. And... I thought, well, like, earth and sky was easy, and time was easy. Fate was the one that gave me the most difficulties, because I didn't quite know what to call her at first, because I knew I wanted her to be part, like, life and death, like, Hades, but not quite. So for a while, she was called Lady, just Lady, because I didn't have a name for her until, I heard, until Fate was like, oh, it's Fate, got it. So I kind of made it all up off the top of my head, but I figured... I would take elements from most creation myths, you know, two people get together, they make man, someone gets mad and move on, and wants revenge. And that's pretty much what I ended up doing with time and fate. And all, and Hades, bre- and all Hades breaks loose. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and I originally, um, the first drawing I ever did of the Titan Earth was her as a tree, which is what, or the mother tree also kind of really close to Teldrassil, the world tree. I don't know if you've heard of that. I have um, heard of the world tree. That's um, Asgard myth. 
Yeah, so yeah. it's, she's kind of the same thing. She's a, a giant woman stuck in a tree that time decided to leave there. And then she took um, Father Sky and broke him into the clouds. So he's kind of not coming back. <laughs> well, and we, and we don't actually see him much in the book. Um, no. We, we kind mentioned. of... We kind of deal mainly with um, time and fate. And um, if anybody, just a little plug, if anybody's interested in listening to the prologue that we are talking about right now and part of chapter one, I will link to my podcast episode where I actually read that to you for you guys. So um, you'll get a, a glimpse into the that prologue and that mythology that is very prominent uh, through the rest of the story. You know, there's there's a lot of aha moments um, <laughs> where things things from the prologue suddenly make sense, and you know, there's some of them make sense in a really awesome way, some of them make sense in a not so great way. And some of them will make you want to throw the book across the room. Just, <laughs> you know, I, my goal. <laughs> you know, I, you know, as I was proofreading this for you, I, you know, I had a lot of those moments and it's, you know, it, it was really, really enjoyable to be able to, to work on that. Um, and, you know, get to read it, you know, ahead of everybody else. That made me feel really special. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I always have to, I always have to be really careful when proofreading, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm proofreading it, but at the same time, I'm enjoying the story. And I want so badly to go on Twitter and gush about this book that I'm proofreading and tell everybody. And, you know, you have to read this book when it comes out. But I can't. Right. You know, because it's not published yet. Well, now you can. You know, <laughs> now I can. Now I can gush about it. That makes me happy. Um, and, you know, and now I, I get to go and, um, you know, once I've had a chance to, to glance through it again. Because it's been months. Um yes. And I, I've forgotten half the story, um, so I, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting to glance through it again and um, get my review written for you um, and, you know, get to gush about this book a little bit because uh, it, it really is. And it's, it's an easy read. It's not, you know, it's not, I'm trying to think of a, a J.R.R. Tolkien is, oh you know, it's not that. It's, you're not going to slog your way through it. It's, you know, I think I managed, um, I think I managed to get it completely proofwritten. Proof, proofwritten? Really? The worderer? Just, my husband calls me the worderer. Uh, <laughs> that's, hence, hence that, um, you know, but... About 20 hours, I think, is, is about how long it took me total. Um, and so, you know, that's, a, that's less than a day. So it's really, 
it's a really easy read. I, I would say most people can probably get it finished in about three or four days. So it's, you know, but it's enjoyable. It's not, you're not, you're not going to feel like during those three or four days that you're slogging your way through Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't make it very far in Lord of the Rings. I got to the Prancing Pony and gave up. <laughs> I didn't even get that far. I watched the movies. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you've heard me discuss in, in other podcast episodes um, just how much I don't have a desire to ever read Lord of the Rings. That it's just not there. I get other people can. Knock yourself out. If that is what you want to do with your time... There is no judgment here at all whatsoever. If you get through book four, I think it is, of Dark Tower series that I absolutely adored and can't finish the rest of the series, that's fine. No judgment. You know, it's books are books are not intended for everybody. You know, that's that's one thing that, you know, that I've just never understood, you know, and I um, actually have several friends that work at a library and I happened to mention that I was attempting an Anne Rice book that I had never heard of before and I was like, but I'm having so much trouble, but it's Anne Rice, so I feel like I should make an effort to try to finish it, even though I find her books extremely boring. And one of, one of the ladies at the library, she was like, life is too short to read a book you're not thoroughly enjoying. Right. And I really took that to heart and I did not finish that particular book. But I will say this. Her son, Christopher Rice, is amazing. His books, I can't put down. If, if you hand me one of his books. But her books, it's, it's her particular writing style that I think I have so much trouble with. Because I, I have trouble even watching the movies made from her books. That's, that's how slow they feel to me. You know, Queen of the Damned, I think, is the only one that I have ever seen all the way through and enjoyed. Um, and that was really only because of um, Stuart Townsend. You know, I, I really liked him as Lestat. Uh, I thought he did a really good job in that role. But Interview with the Vampire... No, I think I watched it once, never again. It just, it bored me to tears. Um, so it's, you know, it's, there's no, my point is this, there's no one book that everybody in the world is going to love. And, you know, and I think that... You know, I think your book is going to reach probably about 75%. I think 75% of people are going to love your book. 
<laughs> and the other there twenty will be people who don't, and, and the other are the ones that don't like multi me. Right, when well, that's the other twenty five percent. That's the other twenty five percent of the people in the world that aren't going to like your book, and that's okay because seventy five percent will. So that's over half. That's you know we're doing good. Um, <laughs> and you know I and I hope that um, I hope that people listen to this podcast episode and really give thought to grabbing your book. And I I really hope that they give it a chance because it does have a really fun story and it does have a lot of diverse characters. You know, you don't have just the, um, the boy, girl, completely binary fantasy characters. You know, you have, there's a lot of really, a lot of diversity in the book. Um, And so there's, you know, it's one of those books that I would go so far as to say there's something for everybody. Because even your three-star review, there was something about the book that they liked. Or they would have given it one star. So, (laughs) you know, so even, you know, so your, you know, so your book, The 13th Zodiac, I, I think it, there's a little bit in there for everybody. I think there's something that's going to connect with the reader and, you know, they're going, that's going to be their character and that's going to be the one person why they come back and get the second book is because they want that one character, um, you know, and then of course you have the the characters that we all love to hate, <laughs> and we hope die. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I don't remember who I was talking about talking with. I think it was last week um, that I was saying um, no, it was um, a guy at work. Um, we were talking about movies or something, and I made the comment that I feel no guilt about hoping a fictional character will die. <laughs> you know, because they're they're fictional characters. You know, I'm not I'm not wishing death on the actor. I'm not wishing death right. on the author of the book. I am wishing death on that character that is a fictional character. <laughs> And I can hate that character enough to want them dead. It's okay. <laughs> Does not make you a psychopath, everybody. I'm just saying. It's okay. Well, I, and my I, husband's a psychopath, so I actually know. <laughs> so, yeah, you you definitely have, you know, you have the characters that that we're all rooting for. And you have the characters that we're, you know okay with and then you have the characters that we just really want them to fall off the side of a mountain <laughs> and I have many suggestions for a certain character's death <laughs> yes you know and you know you and if you've and when you fit them all in one story and they fit seamlessly together as this ragtag group of misfits you have a really original story that I think a lot of people are going to relate to and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy and I think a lot of people like your 13 year old friends all through high school are going to come back for more because they want 
They want that, that feel-good sense of closure, I guess, is, is a good way of putting it, um, that you get from your book, you know. Not everything is closure. I'm not saying that it's all happy endings and rainbows and unicorns. I promise. Um, <laughs> not spoiling anything, I swear. <laughs> but but at the same time, you, do, you still get that sense of closure. And you still get that sense of relief. Um, that things are happening the way that they're supposed to happen. You know, things yeah, aren't... Things aren't necessarily. I tried to make book one standalone as best I could while hinting to book two. Oh yeah. <laughs> and but I didn't do straight uh, cliffhanger. <laughs> no, no, and I and I actually one of my favorite authors. Um, she's a mainstream author from here in Tulsa, um, and she there. She wrote one series. I think it was their first series that she wrote with her daughter. And it was kind of the, the books that threw them into the mainstream. Um, and they were books that were set here in Tulsa. And um, it's, they, there were 12 books in the series. And there was one that was about, I think, book four five or six ends on a cliffhanger and the next book doesn't come out for a year. <laughs> and I was not okay with that. I wanted to call the author and I wanted that book right now. Um, and so there's, there's something to be said for the ending that you chose and the ending that that book had, you know, they, they all have their places and they both, if done well, will bring you back, will bring the reader back for the next book. Um, so it's, you know, again, that comes back to, there's something for everybody. Um, you know, and not everybody is going to love your book. Um, I think they, I think they should, <laughs> but, but not everybody is going to. And, um, but it, you know, the people that, you know, it's kind of like opera. I think the people that love it are going to really, really, really love it. You know, like me and Katie, um, oh gosh. <laughs> Katie, <laughs> hi Katie. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was hilarious um and yeah she she was beta reading I think right after I finished proofreading so I had you know I had read the book it was still fresh in my memory and she was messaging me and she was messaging you and she's like I just told Lizzie this and blah 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 um yeah she's <laughs> she was adorable um but you know there's we loved your book and we gush about your book and I retweet about your book whenever I see you on Twitter um, because it's it's one of those books that I think everybody should at least give it a chance you know whether you love it or not whether you hate it or not whether you're wishy-washy about it whether you're just completely ambivalent 
it doesn't matter. It's one of those books that I think everybody should give it a chance because I feel like there's something in it for everybody. And, you know, you're going to hear me say that a lot. There's something in it for everybody. Uh, <laughs> so what, what was your favorite part about writing the 13th Zodiac? Um, well, I guess probably really figuring out, um, Jace, because he, he's kind of me. I know that sounds weird. Everybody's like, oh, your main character's you, but he, the way he reacts to interactions is really how I would now. Leah's me when I was like 18. <laughs> the princess but who can cook. He, there you go. <laughs> relate more to him which is why I really dug down deep with him and did what I could and really worked on his backstory I mean writing Leo was definitely the best thing I did for book one because it really nailed things down for him and the path that he is on and certain things that are revealed throughout obviously Leo is the prequel right yeah Leo is the prequel that is his backstory right um, and other people have asked me about hers, and I'm like, well, hers is really mostly a happy childhood, you know, murder, and happy child. Jay shows up. It's pretty much just about him. <laughs> um, uh, but getting to know him was fun. <laughs> um, it's okay. So one, one thing that um, I know you and I have discussed before is the prequel for time and fate um, because if you if you read the the pre, um, prologue I almost said the prequel if you <laughs> if you read the prologue um, then you know it kind of starts after time and fates falling apart uh, falling you know falling not together um, fallout thank you um, uh, that's the word I was looking for, and it was just, <laughs> um, yeah, my husband calls me the worderer, and I still have trouble every once in a while, um, but it, you know, the prologue kind of starts after that, mm-hmm. and I think that having a prequel that goes before the creation of men, when it's just the four titans, and, you know, that, that whole story, I can't wait to read it. I don't know if you can wait to write it, um, but mythology for me is like crack. You give me a good <laughs> mythology story and I am down for it. Um, you know, I, when I was a kid, I would read... Uh, we had a series of books um, that it was, my sister has them now, um, the, um, each book is like a different collection of stories, and in one of them, there's a section of Norse mythology, and it tells, you know, Odin, and Loki, and Thor, and, you know, all of those stories, and as a kid, I would read them over, and over, and over, because it was just fascinating to me you know and then as I got older and got into Greek and Roman mythology and um 
just really, really enjoyed those. <clears throat> mythology is like a drug for me. <laughs> I love a good mythology story. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's part of the reason why I loved your book so much is because of that myth- mythological backstory. Um, I think that's part of the reason why I loved Shadowless um, by Randall McNally. I mention his book all the time. Um, I think that's part of the reason why I loved his book so much is because of that super original mythology. Um, and, you know, because it it throws something into the story that the reader hasn't seen before when it's brand new. You know, there there may be tropes in there that we've all read before, but that mythology behind it, working behind the scenes, is what makes it so original. And I love that. <laughs> um, yes, I will gush about your book for, for a really long time. <laughs> um, well, Leo's half edited, so soon it'll be out for proofreading, so... Yay! That makes me happy. Um, yeah, I, I actually have three proofreading projects in my queue right now. Um, and that makes me super excited. Um, I, I know I've mentioned this before, um, but proofreading for me kind of makes me feel like the, the super popular kid that... <laughs> you know, gets to read everything in advance. You know, it just, it makes me feel really special that I'm getting to read this story before the rest of the world. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, and I think that's, and that even may be part of why I loved your book so much is that it, you know, I got to, I got to read it ahead of everybody else and got to feel that, that super special, um, <laughs> feeling like I'm, you know, somehow on the, on the inside, uh, getting special treatment, um, that I never got when I was a kid. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) that's proofreading for me is just, it's, it's just that super special feeling that, that I get. And I, I don't ever want that to go away. And, And when it does, I will, I will probably rethink this whole proofreading business thing but for now as long as I'm enjoying it I'm gonna keep doing it so um okay so we are at least three more books out of me so um (laughs) yes and I have Raimi's um and then I have two more from the author that I'm working on currently um over the next three or four months and so yeah I've got you know lots of projects coming up super super excited about that Um, okay, so we're down towards the end of the show, and I have had a question that I haven't asked any of the other authors, um, but I'm super curious about. Are you a plotter or a pantser? Okay, so I'm a mix of both. I have an outline. I want things to go one way, but I have a couple characters who like to make sure I pants things so I don't know what's going to happen. Jace. <laughs> so I am a little bit of both. I, I, like, I can say that Dreamtaker went a little bit different than I wanted it to, but it did go along the lines that it was supposed to. So, but um, I'm definitely, when I'm writing a pantser, 
but beforehand I have it sort of plotted. <laughs> okay. Um, and what is, what is something as, as someone who's just published your first book, what is something you would tell a brand new author? Stop checking the KDP. It will drive you nuts. <laughs> once, <laughs> once you've hit publish your book. <laughs> I stared at publishing on my paperback for three days. They will email you when it's done. Barnes Noble doesn't, but KDP does. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually design... Um, journals and and things like that for Amazon and you know I have a couple now that I've designed that I have to fight to keep from checking to see if it's published because I'm like it's really really pretty and I know people will like it um and when they say three days they mean three days per each step just so you know yeah it's it's not it is not a a set 72 hours. I did learn oh. that with like my first four or five journals that I, that I posted on there. It is not, it is not 72 hours and it's live. It's 72 hours unless there's an issue. And then it's 72 hours after that. And then it's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they, um, they, they get you with the Kindle. The Kindle, my Kindle was up in six hours. I was like, oh, well that was easy. My nice. paperback took a little over 72 and I had to call them and wait another 24 hours. Aww. <laughs> well, it's up now. Um, yes. I, I will include a link in the show notes for everybody as well as on my blog. Um, and, um, if anybody, um, wants to head over to my blog, it is the picky bookworm blog dot blogspot.com and leave a couple comments for Lacey any questions you think I should have asked that I didn't um, we will see about getting those answered for everybody um, other than that I will include a link to Lacey's book in the show notes for you guys so that you can head over and buy it I would promise you you won't be sorry I don't think you'll be sorry, um, but I don't promise. Um, just because it's, you know, it's, there's no book is for everybody. So I really think everybody is going to like it. I think everybody should go buy it and at least give it a chance. Um, and we will see everybody later because we are almost out of time. It has been a very, very quick hour. Very, very quick yes. hour. Um, so thank you so much for switching weeks with me. Um, I was hoping you would be able to do that. Um, cause my, my other guest, literally something came up at like 10 15 this morning. We were supposed to meet at 11 and he was like, I am so sorry. I have to reschedule. <laughs> and I was like, well, I will just see if I can switch weeks with Lacey. So I am so glad that you were, that you had time and you were able to do that. Um, thank you so much for right at the end of being done with my babies. Yay. Um, <laughs> so thank you again so much for coming and visiting with me. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking about your book. Um, and I will see you on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Talk to you soon.
बाय बाय बाय